What is up, y'all? What is going on out there in internet land? I am Jose, and this is Positively Cynical. What's up, co-host? Introduce yourself. Say hello to everyone this week. What's up? It's a question. How you doing, Jose? How things going? Uh, things aren't bad. I don't know. It's a sleepy Sunday. I got off a couple of busy-ass days at work from home, one of which you were like there for a little bit, spent some time while I like finished up a shift. Um, but like, yeah, we saw Spider-Man No Way Home recently, which was awesome. And we can't spoil anything about that. And we're not going to talk about that today, but I enjoyed it as a huge Spider-Man fan and kid from Queens, New York, um, comic book fan. I was, I was a big fan of it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. If we, uh, I was going to say, we, there's still time to change subjects if you want to. We can think about a happier talk. Spider-Man still on the table. I'm telling you, <laughs> you want to go there. That's more, that's more <laughs> of my other podcast. I'm assuming we're, we're going to review that eventually, and I'll probably jump into that conversation. I've taken a short hiatus to focus on this podcast for a few weeks and get some episodes here in the tank. And I did that, that solo episode last week. Um, as I mentioned on the podcast, I just didn't want to get anybody involved in my thought process and my, and my, well, whatever liability I might have for the conversation I had last week, the cancel culture two conversation about the closer with Dave Chappelle. Um, but you're back and yes, we, we I think we're leaning into the conversation we were originally going to have. I think that's a better idea. Spider-Man's a little too light for the way things are going these days. <laughs> That might be the reason why it'd be good to talk about, but hey, I will defer. Indeed, indeed. So let's do the quick introduction so we can jump into this week's conversation. The best way to support your favorite podcast cruise is to like, rate, share, and subscribe to all of our podcast content. You can find Positively Cynical's content at hashtag Positively Cynical and at hashtag Positively Cynical Podcast. You can find all of our social medias and our webpage and our podcast and all of your favorite social media, or uh, I should say podcast platforms, wherever your favorite podcasts are sold. And another great way to support your favorite podcast crew, maybe the best way is to rate us on Apple podcasts. Give us a review, give us five stars, let us know, or let everyone know and let us know how you feel about the podcast and, and give us a little bit of support. Um, anyways, Let's jump into this week's conversation, which is essentially uh, 2022, right? Like we're, we're jumping into prediction land again. We've been here before with some other conversations. We're back in prediction land. Um, 2022. Well, What's up? Yeah, I just, no, I was just going to say, well, I mean, everybody has their year in review or their clip show. And others have a prediction show mm -hmm. at this time of the year, right? So why not us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna predict, I guess, three aspects of twenty twenty two that have been and will be continue will continue to be uh, sort of big issues in regards to just global events and and everything in the United States and beyond. So. Why don't you get us started, sir? Mr. Question was one of the first things that you were interested in discussing and that we agreed we should discuss in regards to 2022 predictions this week. Well, we can, I guess, start chronologically and work our way in. I mean, you, you kind of set it up a little bit as far as these three topics being relatively big now. I think they're going to actually become a lot bigger next year. Um, we'll get into that in a minute or two, but I guess we can start off with, um, let's do the insurrection. I'd say let's do the, let's do uh, so what, are, what are our three topics so we can give people the chronologically, the chron chronology, pardon, that they can expect for this episode. We're starting with the insurrection, January 6th. What, what is, what are we going to finish this off with? Well, when I was thinking about this, uh, figured we can start with January 6th, um, just pretty much where we are at this point and potentially where we're going to end up next year around this time. Uh, kind of roll that into the midterms, which is going to pretty much dominate everything. Uh, it's dominating everything now, but once the calendar turns, all focus, at least politically, 
is going to turn to the midterms and everything pretty much kind of bounces off of that. And then run and parlay that into uh, our favorite subject and topic over the past year or so, coronavirus and the cloud that looms overhead for everything that we're we're doing at this point in time, everything we've done basically for the past two years. And pretty much, yeah, where, where do we think uh, this country and the world will be, let's say a year from now, in light of yet another variant of the virus and things starting to get locked down again. So figured we can kind of go into one big topic into another big topic into a third. And uh, I think... Uh, those are heavy enough subjects that I think we can kind of st- stick with those and, you know, let's see what happens. But I- I'd say we can start off with January 6th. Um, it's hard to believe, actually, that it's still the same year that this thing took place. Mm-hmm. It seems, I don't know about you, but I mean, to me, it just seems like it's, good Lord, at least it's longer than, what, 11 months ago <laughs> that this insurrection, and it is an insurrection, it was an insurrection, um, that this occurred. Make that shit clear. Uh, well, again, when you try to essentially state a, uh, stage a coup um, using, well, several thousand of your closest friends, allies, and supporters, um, I think insurrection isn't a far-off term to use. But I would say coup if you wanted to get a little bit stronger. Failed coup. So January 6th. So, I mean, that's that's in and of itself tells you how significant this day was whether you regard it as a coup or insurrection or just a bunch of people exercising their rights against a tyrannical government on January 6th, it's January 6th. Like we call it the date. Yeah. There's a date now. It's like like an 11 status. It's like, (laughs) that gives it like a mythology, right? Like January 6th forever will be a day that you commemorate in some way, not positively. It's it's another one of, uh, it's another one of America's days of infamy, I guess, right? That's one of those where we're not necessarily, I guess it could be a where were you when sort of situation, but definitely something that reverberates and at least throughout history will have consequences solely out of that one event alone. We assume, because I think one reason why I wanted to bring it up is because you would figure that an, an event, the nature of essentially an attempted coup would yield a different result than the one we have currently um, or what that what result may seem to be. What, what different result? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, I, and, well, I let's just say I assume that there would be more people on the right that would want to say, Hey, let's get to the bottom of this and say, Hey, well, let me back a little bit. I'm surprised. I am surprised at how this has kind of turned out. You know, I, I didn't think, I thought that you know, Trump would have some control over the party. I didn't think to this extent, to the point where it essentially impacts what, I mean, let's call it what it is, Republicans are saying about this whole thing, right? I mean, Kevin McCarthy basically outlined his whole strategy for next year based off of, oh, nothing to see here. The insurrection was just a little tiff between, you know, people who just happen to be in the neighborhood and their government. Um, it's, it's, it's a little scary that there is essentially one side of the political spectrum that's looking at this and trying to figure out how we got to this point. And then there's another side of the party or the political spectrum that just says, again, nothing to see here. Let's move on. It's interesting. Just, like I find often when we have these conversations, when we're talking about, how one side feels versus the other. We're talking about the politicians more so, like the political the political class in Washington, senators and congressmen, governors, and, and people in the, in the Democratic Party and Republican Party. But it, that's the feeling for a lot of like private citizens as well. A well, lot of people that. are convinced that January 6th wasn't really any kind of infraction of any kind against America or against democracy or against anything really other than, again, a tyrannical government, maybe, I feel like, is the, the, the through line when it comes to people who are apologists for what happened on January 6th? Well, that was the question I was actually about to ask, is, is 
the Republican response slash reaction to this more a product of what they're hearing from their constituents, or is it them trying to sweep this under the rug and basically say, well, if we don't talk about it, then out of sight, out of mind, and then, you know, we can just say, let's get behind it. Hopefully they'll believe us and we'll try to salvage a semblance of some sort of civil legitimate, you know, party here. Um, mm-hmm. the, way you, the way I know the way, the way you, I mean, I think that you're right. Um, you know, to an extent, I think a lot of it is, you know, kind of what they're hearing from the part, uh, from their constituents that, you know, this maybe for, you know, a lot of people, this was a long time coming, right? This is, you know, they've been pissed off at government for a long time. Uh, the federal government, it seems more so. Um, I don't want to say that, well, Trump, I guess, and the insurrection more or less gave them a way to air their grievances, right? I'm sure that a lot of, you know, the people who participated had said in their minds many a time or amongst themselves, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we were to essentially give, you know, the federal government a piece of our mind? And, well, you know, here we are. So maybe this was something that was set up or has been set up. And, you know, Trump just lit that fuse on January 6th. And then Republicans just took that cue and said, okay, we feel your pain. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, when you say set up, do you think that the, who do you think set this up? Let's say leading up to January 6th, is that like you're feeling that this was something that was politically motivated and calculated a conspiracy of sorts to create some sort of unrest on January 6th regarding the certification of the election? Well, I mean, there, I mean, there've been conspiracy theories for quite a while now when it comes to, I'm not even talking Again, about a conspiracy theory. I'm talking no, no, about, I'm, in this case, an actual legitimate conspiracy. Was there a legitimate conspiracy? Well, no, I'm, I was going to say that. This, un, this kind of unrest on January 6th. Well, no, no, I, I was going to get to that. I, I was going to say that, you know, essentially Trump just more or less created one more in a long line of conspiracy theories. And this seems to be the one that broke the camel's back, the straw. So I think that in a lot of ways, yeah, I mean, it was it was something that was a long time coming in a sense, and something brand new. Trump just kind of threw essentially a bullshit theory out there when it came to, oh, I was robbed with the election. And then he kind of tied that with just how we all were robbed with so many other things over the course of however long. Hey, let's do something about it. So in a way, he kind of took that anger that was already there, put his lie on top of that, told everybody, hey, come here on January 6th and watch what happens. It was like the end of his narrative for the MAGA the, the MAGA era, which isn't over, I guess, but at least in, in terms of him being the president, it's it's over at the moment, right? Well, when he, it's just fascinating that when he's basically come out and said to you, hey, if I lose, it's going to be rigged before the election last yeah. year. And then he's like, hey, remember that thing I said? Okay, I'm going to stick to my lie. You know, come with me. And people just... W- that's, I think, why a part of me is just kind of still kind of, you know, it does boggle my mind even to this point where he told you how this game was going to be played. He told you what he was going to yeah. do. And still, it's just like, yeah, he's right. I'm just going to forget everything he said, you know, before <laughs> last election day. And all of a sudden, it's like a new revelation that he was robbed. He told you how this game was going to be played. These, If these are the cards I'm dealt, well... That's the hand I'm going to play. And I don't know, people on this side, I think, I don't know if it's, I really think these people, they, they can't be this naive. A lot of it is, I think a lot of it is just they're sore losers. I really do. Well, so I talked about a lot of how Trump set this this narrative up in the election was rigged episode. The, the first of the two episodes that I guess that I've done on my own and the third episode of the podcast overall. Um, but like, so it's always kind of interesting to me how Trump kind of stumbles into a, <laughs> like by, by throwing certain shit at the wall and certain narrative narratives at the wall, he stumbles into a furthering of the MAGA narrative and the furthering of his power. And it, the thing that I'm sure of that has come out in, in the hearings that we're having or the, the investigation that's being done, um, in regards to January 6th by mostly Democrats and a couple of Republicans who are, are, I suppose, trying to save face, uh, is, is that the Fox news machine as, as always, as it was from the beginning was integral 
to the furthering of Trump's narratives and Trump's messages and Trump's divisiveness, uh, because we did have the sort of those text messages that came out, right? I think it was um, with Laura, Laura Ingraham and, and some other Fox News personalities that were texting Trump on January 6th or texting texting Jr. on January 6th. Mark Meadows was the other one, right? One of the other ones. Yeah. Well, basically, Mark Meadows, I guess, uh, if I recall, he released some texts. Uh, the committee more or less you know, had subpoenaed them to do so. So he released a certain amount of text messages that indicate that, yes, he was speaking with Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram on the day of uh, Donald Trump Jr. also reached out to him, basically was like, hey, you know, you got to do something to get this all to stop, talk to my dad, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, you're right as far as, you know, Fox News kind of playing that card and being – Yet again, that funnel, that channel, you know, between, I guess, what he wants to hear, Trump, and what it is. Well, that becomes the conspiracy in a, in a sense because it's conspiracy between him and his media narrative people, which is Fox News, which is OAN, because they're really an, an, an arm of his media wing in the White House. I mean, that's fairly obvious. I mean, there there are some there are some media outlets on the left as well that could be deemed apologists or, or media arms for Joe Biden as well, like an MSNBC or something like that. But at the same time, Fox News and, and, and networks like OAN and even other networks are so involved in how Trump was able to spread his narrative. And it became a self-perpetuating thing, right? The, you know, Trump spread the narrative that the election was false. Everyone, even, even you know, it's very clear that everyone in his, in his circle knows that it's false, <clears throat> When it comes to, you know, how they responded to the insurrection on January 6th and how it looked for Donald Trump, knowing full well that the election was not stolen. It was just a, a, a backlash against him and his policies. Um, but it's, again, sort of self-perpetuates because the Fox News media machine feeds it to the people and then it gets fed back in terms of probably like focus groups and surveys tell them that people enjoy this shit and Tucker Carlson spreads it on his show and Hannity spreads it on his show. Laura Ingraham and all of them spread it on their fucking shows. And it becomes that thing that perpetuates and gets us to where we are now and to where we're going to be in 2022. So what, what do you think is going to happen next? You're the, you're the big poli guy. You're more following what's going on specifically in terms of the investigation and all of that. Um, well, what what comes next? Gonna see I mean, something like this in, in another four years, another two years. Another year, can you I imagine say, if this years, is maybe, actually? Can you imagine if this is something that happens after every election? Just the loser of the election is just like, nope, I just don't accept the results, and let's go to DC and do something about it until they change their minds. That would be kind of the antithesis of what America is supposed to be, right? But topic for another day i guess um i would say ha huh, as far as what's going to happen you know it seems as if republicans are going to stick to the lie right that there's nothing to see the only two people so far at least on the republican side that seem to want to get to the bottom of whatever this is are of all people what is it liz cheney mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm Kinzinger and Kinzinger is gone after next year. He's, he's not running for re-election. Liz Cheney is probably not going to win re-election because the people in her state are not really for her considering who she's trying to go against, which is their Lord and savior, Donald Trump. So I would say that maybe, you know, in the end, I, I don't even know if this is going to end. It might sad to say end, as far as an investigation, probably maybe towards the end of next year, if Republicans do take the House, um, maybe Democrats really wouldn't have much of a leg to stand on as far as this continuing. Um, I think that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better as far as the stuff we're going to hear. I think there's a lot more that's out there that we haven't heard yet. And I think that you're going to hear more of that come out in the next couple of months. Um Ultimately, sad to say, I don't know if it'll go anywhere. 
I mean, there just seems to be so much of a wall built up and you're going into an election year where, you know, all house, all house members are going to be up for reelection. This is, but this might be something, unfortunately that might get swept under the rug because there just won't be enough quote unquote time to deal with this. Not when you have to run and campaign. It's sad to say this should have been this. I mean, for something that seems so obvious on paper, and it should be cut and dry. The fact that we're dealing with this and we're essentially just scratching the surface now and we're 11 months in should say, you know, I don't hold your breath as far as us getting to the root cause of this anytime soon, unfortunately. So no, no one's going to face consequences. No one in the, in the Trump administration is going to face consequences. I don't believe that I mean, Trump will ever face any kind of consequences for this, but does he, does, does he ever face, does he ever face consequences? I mean, all he does is just get people to everybody else has gotten consequences so far, except for him. People have gone to jail for him. People have gotten fired for him. People have been held in contempt for him. And all he does is just appeal and keep his arm's length from it and try to run a shadow campaign to run for president. He's a really rich Nixon, basically. I mean, the fact that he wants to run for president again. With no remorse. With no remorse and believes that he has a good chance, a, legi- a legitimate chance of winning should tell you how he feels this is going to well, go. Well, he does have a legitimate chance, doesn't he? Th- well, that's... We're not uh, talking about 2020. Then, today. We're talking about 2022, but... No, I know. I know. But, I mean, everything... But next year is going to be a big indicator of how it's going to be in 24. And no, unless, unless something happens between now and <laughs> two and a half years from now, it's really changed narrative. I don't want to say this cake is baked, but it ain't looking good for, for the left or at least for Democrats to say. It ain't looking good for, for yes. the neoliberal party, the neoliberal wing of the, of the democratic party and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and others. But I don't know if it would look any better for the the progressive left, the liberal, the truly liberal left right now, either way. What, what's going to happen in 2022? Speaking of which, moving on, and I guess that being something that will create consequences for whether or not the January 6th investigation will even continue. What What is 2022? What are we going to get in terms of- Well, I don't know terms, if you- I suppose. Well, no, but- yeah, but I don't know if you answered the question. I mean, what do you think is going to happen as far as this committee? Do you think this is going to go anywhere? Do I think it's going to go anywhere? I don't know if anybody's... Yeah. Well, if, it, I mean, clearly next year, if in 2022 Republicans were to take some majorities in the House and the Senate, the investigation would likely be closed. Uh, but as of now, I mean, simply the fact that there is that sort of endpoint they they probably have to change the way that they even complete some kind of investigation like this. And they're probably rushing to get some findings before the 2022 midterms in order to influence the 2022 midterms. Um, and I mean, it's just going to be the way that it has been recently. There's probably going to be some significant thing that's going to come out and it's going to be questioned whether it's legitimate or not. Um, some significant statement by Donald Trump or by some surrogates of his on January 6th that led to the inflammation of that incident other than what we saw publicly or, or some acknowledgement of it in text messages or emails or other forms of communication, but it's still not going to go anywhere, right? Because it gets spun by the media wing of the Donald Trump party of the MAGA party. And so as a result, you know, politicians on the right being beholden to that consensus won't be able to do anything or help fulfill any kind of consequences, which it would be necessary for any kind of consequences to occur. So no, I mean, that's the long way of saying nothing will happen or come of this. Well, I mean, you can parlay this as you're about to into the midterms because they do pretty much intersect, you know, a lot of what's going to happen with the January 6th committee as I just mentioned, pretty much says rest in the hands of the fact that there's a midterm uh, election season right. next they year. They have to they have to find um, a way to get to get something significant before the midterms. Yeah, they had pretty much all of this year. I mean, it's sad to say it's gotten to the point where a presidency is pretty much built on what can you get done in your first year, and then it's midterms, and then all of a sudden. Three years into your into your term as president, you're running free election before the fourth year. So, if there was anything that 
let's say Democrats or those that were uh, convinced there was an insurrection uh, were able to do, this would have been the time to get things open out in the open and done. Next year is election mode. Um, and, you know, a lot of people can say, like they have been saying, you know, a couple of years ago, it's a witch hunt. It's a conspiracy to go against this guy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Republicans have pretty much just kind of sat around and sort of Democrats who just kind of circular fired squad themselves this whole time. And they might just turn that right back into taking the house and the Senate back. It's kind of crazy. Circular, but firing, circular firing squad in themselves? Well, Dem- like, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, Democrats kind of shot themselves in the foot with a lot of things this year as far as policy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, build back better and any anything that of substance really that Biden wanted to pass. Um, in a lot of instances, Democrats were their own worst enemy or maybe a few Democrats were their own worst enemy, I guess, depending on the they, they were They were their own best friend because of the constituents that they hold, right? The Well, I mean, that's how they got into power, but I mean, what have they done with that power to this point? And next year, a lot of it's going to be a referendum on what have you done? What have they done? <clears throat> well, they're dinos, though. They're Democrats in name only in those, in those certain places where they're against the progressive, quote-unquote, un- agenda. That's a conversation we're going to have... Uh, in, a, in another podcast. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, I, I think sad to say, again, if you fall on that side of, uh, of the political spectrum, you know, Republicans can just sit there and stare at Democrats, just, you know, arguing and arguing and infighting and parlay that into, Hey, this is your government not getting anything done. Vote for us again. And have and they wouldn't have suffered any consequences, as far as well. I guess you know they did suffer the ultimate consequence, right? They lost the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would have assumed that consider like how the last couple of years have unfolded, everything leading up to January six. We kind of do go back to that. Um, that they wouldn't have a chance, you know, to win any or to gain seats next year. You know, it's it it it's kind of a testament to how Democrats <laughs> have kind of screwed this up to even have this conversation right now. The fact that, you know, this is a prediction show where it's like, can Democrats hold on to power? It's, it's kind of sad because probably not, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> you know, it's, it's sad because every, everything was laid out for them to hold, to have power and pretty much to kind of maintain it for quite a while. And again, some people within their own party against a granted Democrats have a big tent, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, when, when essentially it looks like there's been no, no action, right. I, again, what, what can Democrats run on next year? I can't think of anything. Okay. You know, we've gotten a couple of stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten the economy down, you know, by some, you know, small measures of economic adjustments, but the big stuff, you know, the crowning achievement or what Biden wants to be his crowning achievement. Uh, what is it to this point? Well, it's supposed to be infrastructure I mean, and build back better, but. Not after this morning, I don't know. Mansion pretty much shot that down. Um, again, you know, we're going to get into that in a future episode, but, um, you know, if, if they essentially can't come to the table and agree amongst themselves, I mean, how do you go and sell that to an audience that you want to vote for you again? You know, I mean, I, I, how do you say vote for me? I can argue with the best of them and still not get stuff done. I, it's, it's, it's a little, that's a strange argument to make, but is it better than, well, vote for me and all we'll do is just basically, you know, is more of the same or we'll just stare at the other guys in this case, the Democrats, you know, not doing anything. And well, we'll just pretty much trumpet, you know, our party until 2024 until, you know, the big orange guy comes well, back. Both parties are kind of facing identity crises at the moment, right? Because you have the Republicans with their MAGA wing of the party, which has a significant majority of the party, we'll say. But at the same time, there is some some part of the political 
class or the politicians that opposes the MAGA, uh, the MAGA objective objectives as they were. And there are a lot more centrist Republicans out there than are represented in media that much we're, we know and are aware of, even though it seems like generally a lot of Republicans are again also in Donald Trump's camp. And then you have the identity crisis on the left where you have the neoliberal, again, wing of the party, the Bidens and the Harrises and the, you know, the, the Clinton and the, and the Obama standard being challenged by the Bernie Sanders and the AOC, the squad, um, that aspect of the left, the Democratic Party. So, I mean, that is a more, on the left, you have more of a, you could say, open-ended crisis or, you know, no one side in this case is necessarily dominating the other as much as the Trump party or the Trump wing of the, of the Republican party is dominating that side. But on the left, you have a more significant divide, which you might say is leading to this, uh, so what you said, like the, the circular firing squad, the shooting themselves in the foot where you have actually maybe even three wings of the party, right? You have the, the really, far neoliberal mansion almost to the almost to the right the joe mansions of the party then you have the the joe bidens and the kamala harris's who understand that there has to be a little bit more of a shift to the left or the modern democratic party and then you have again the far left wing quote unquote of the democratic party so that's a that's a, a big part of the the aesthetic and the reason why we see 2022 as something that might be more of a significant gain, at least I do for Republicans, because there's less of an identity crisis. They know who they want and they know who they'll vote for in order to get it. And Democrats are more on the fence. You have, you know, more more progressive leftist parts of the party pointing at the at the president right now and at the vice president and at the centrist, let's say, neoliberal aspects of the Democratic Party and saying, look, they're not they're not accomplishing anything. They're not getting anything done for you. You know, it's just the Wall Street uh, stock market class that's that's seeing uh, increase in wages and an increase in standard of living. And you're just getting a, a second job and they're calling that a, a drop in unemployment. You know, so to me, that's why it, it's almost more clear that 2022 is going to be a significant backswing. It's almost like the stock market or cryptocurrency. We're seeing these swings in accelerate right now, almost right. Uh, you know, in, in our lifetime, we've certainly seen the, the standard eight year swings that we, that we call in terms of presidencies or in terms of parties where it's Democrats in charge essentially for eight years and then Republicans in charge essentially for eight years, uh, you know, loosely, right. They might be president and have most of the, of the, of the wings of the, of the, the government, you know, in terms of the, the judicial and the, the legislative branch. And so, you know, there, yeah, I mean, there's just that dynamic that we're, we're when it comes to 2022 and the midterms and the democratic party and the Republican party. And that's kind of how I see that playing out as a result of that. You know, it's interesting. You said, if, at least I thought I heard you say that uh, there would be a significant shift uh, to Republicans after next year. There might um, be. There's been such significant swings in, in the political mood of the country over the last like eight to 12 years, essentially. Right? It's just been back and forth much, probably much more quickly and significantly than we've seen in our lifetime in terms of like, the way the pendulum swings between Democrats and Republicans in terms of well, power structure. I mean, I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, we've kind of gone, we've kind of gotten more extreme in our politics over the past couple of years. Right. I mean, we've, we've gone from Clinton versus Newt Gingrich where it was just, okay, now we're going to start the us versus them on both sides. And it's ramped up to, I mean, that on steroids, basically by the time we get here 25 or 30 years later, you know, so we've seen, I think we've seen, you know, these huge swings in just popular government in the way that we look at our government and what we expect our government to do pretty much because, yeah, we've just more or less fed this beast for the past 30 years. Right. And I, I, I think that that kind of lends itself to, all right, well, 
you're going to vote extreme in one way in order to essentially check the extreme on the other, right? So you're going to vote for a Biden, let's just say, as president. And then in order to well, hold him in check, you're going to want to get a Congress that's theoretically in the minds of those that are anti-Biden as extreme on that side of the spectrum in order to counter what they feel are extreme policies by Biden and his fellow Democrats. So, but, you know, it's just, you know, kind of like the nature of how that level of escalation is, has risen, right? I mean, when you have, when you're essentially calling out politicians on the right for voting with Democrats on infrastructure and, you know, hey, giving them death threats, you know, the nature of our politics has changed, right? And, and it, it kind of speaks to, you know, what is the end game nowadays and essentially for next year? Is it just we don't care what the hell the other side is in favor of? We're just not going to vote for it, even if it benefits us. And that's how we retain power. I guess that's I guess that's 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 the strategy nowadays. I wouldn't even say on Republican side, maybe that is the way it is on both sides. That's kind of the way it is on um, both sides, because there, there are certain issues that that Democrats will hold Republicans feet to the fire as if there's something really wrong with it. And then when it comes time to vote for it, they, they either still do, or they find some way to, to fold it into other policies or other bills as more of a, or of a side thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I the hypocrisy is on both sides for sure. There's definitely no, yeah. no Republican, you know, like, like monopoly on that. No, they don't corner the market. On on that night, <laughs> both sides are to blame. So you have government shutdowns and all this bullshit occurring all the time these days. Debt ceiling every every three months, we have to be scared that all of a sudden America is going to default. You know, I mean, all these all these little things that you think that you take for granted or you used to used to take for granted as far as okay, that's just how government worked. That's just you know, these are just things that we can agree on. No, all of a sudden these will become existential crises. Yeah, like, like let's, really, let's like, fund our past debts. It's not even current debts. Like these are past. Yeah, debts. it's let's fund stuff that we've already essentially you know budgeted in, and this all of a sudden is a topic of you know crises. This is there's a, there's something going on here. The Democrats and Republicans it, both both not well, both refusing to pay on some debt that they've incurred in the past as a threat to the other party in power generally. And that's the problem. Yeah. That's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that <laughs> barring anything really happening with this bill, build back better. Um, yeah. Democrats are in real trouble and Republicans will have to do much in order to, in order to gain that power. I just, it's, it's just, it's fascinating. It really is. I mean, I, I I would say that they're probably the House will probably go to, to Republicans. Hell, the Senate probably will too. Um, yeah, I I can't. Do you have any specific <laughs> predictions you can give in terms of who might lose or gain a seat in certain places, and then we can move on to our last topic. Of the day. Oh, that was going to be. I, I figured we'd have that as uh, you know, when we kind of got into the heart of of midterm season, that was going to be an episode I'd like to do, just kind of, you know, pick certain races and, you know, okay. go that way. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess if you're going to think of, I'm just saying like maybe, I guess maybe certain you know, states or like certain people who are vulnerable people. or something like that. Yes. I'm saying, I guess, you know, if you're looking out for certain people or certain like states, at least to me, um, or catalysts, let's just say, well, Wisconsin is going to be one. That's going to be a state. Uh, what's his face? Rob Johnson. Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson, the senator. I think it's Ron Johnson, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he may or may not run for re-election. Um, he's essentially been a Trump acolyte uh, since uh, Trump was in power. And he's gone on record, Johnson has, is saying that he was going to serve, I think, only two terms. So this is his third term that he'd be running for. Um, if he didn't run... That would sort of be huge and significant showdown in Wisconsin, which is already a swing state in and of itself. Um, and that could also determine the balance of power uh, for next year. Um, others, well, I mean, <laughs> Texas, right? Beto O'Rourke, he's running for governor of Texas. 
I don't know if he has a chance, but that's something to watch out for. You know, do progressive policies in a state that doesn't really run progressive, will that fly? Have have they just had enough of Greg Abbott and what happened last year with their power grid? Um, abortion rights, how, how they've been challenged recently in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another fascinating race that's, you know, that's going to be out there next year. Um, anything Florida related <laughs> to me is always fascinating politically. You just never know where they're going to go uh, or what they're thinking. Um, I think DeSantis, the governor, has a re-election next year, which can tell you a lot about how 2024 can go. Um, he seems to be one of the people that uh, might be, I want to say an odds-on favorite, but he's being talked about in a lot of circles as far as being essentially Trump's heir apparent for 2024. Um, he have to get past whoever he runs against next year, so that could be fascinating. Yeah, Our Trump own election, twenty twenty four, maybe. I mean, next year, I think he's well, a fair lock. I think he's more of a lock than than Abbott, who I also think is a lock in Texas. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Democrats have kind of sad to say, more or less, given up on Florida <laughs> when it comes to next year in any in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. That there's say. a shot in Texas, but Texas is more building from the local level. Then I mean, statewide politics go to Republicans at the moment, like you know, state level governorships and things like that. I don't think Beto's going to change that, but I, you know, you've seen significant gains in the cities, which has led to Texas being a little bit more purple, right? As yeah, in the last few presidential elections. So the the dynamic is is different in Texas, but in Florida, everybody ain't going nowhere. DeSantis is is, is going to stay there, and it's going to stay solidly red in Florida. I think. Well, it's Georgia. You, you, you meant, the, the that's sort of the one you I just mentioned. That was a state you just brought in my mind. Georgia. That's going to be an interesting one too. That's kind of the the one of the biggest races, I think, in terms of governorships. Maybe. It might be the biggest. I mean, this yeah. is based. That's basically Stacey Abrams' uh, rematch, right? Or at least she wants it to be. Uh, it's a redemption for four years ago. This is what she's had her eye on for for quite a while, right? So she more or less for, uh, for went, that's the word she, uh, she gave up her chance in the Senate seat, uh, in Georgia. She might've, I don't know. She might've given up her chance in the vice presidency, but this was, it seems like this was her end game. She wanted, she wanted redemption for this race coming up. So that's going to be fascinating. Our, you know, our race here in New York, you know, we have a governor that's up for, I don't even know if it's re-election. I mean, she's running for her own term, Kathy Hochul. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo, <laughs> after the things that he did over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be a fascinating race to watch also um, in New York. You know, you think it's, it might be a lock as far as Hochul winning. It might be, but it's still going to be really interesting and, and cool to see how that kind of rolls out. Um, I mean, we don't really have a good idea goes. who's running for the Republicans there you know, next year anyway. So that's a little bit more well, up in the air than some of those other races that we mentioned. Well, one Republican that's already thrown his hat in the ring is Andrew Giuliani. So take that as you will. That's all I have to They're say. Serious. Any serious Republicans. <laughs> you wouldn't consider Andrew Giuliani a serious Republican. I mean, his dad was, was Donald's lawyer. Come on now. I mean, the, reput- the reputability and credibility of Rudy Giuliani <laughs> I mean, come on now. We I mean, classic, the, right? Because the Giuliani name is is tainted, even in the Republican Party. I mean, Rudolph is is such a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's the gold standard now, by <laughs> by which oh oh. He has about as much uh, of a shot as Larry ever did in California. <laughs> I mean, this is not going to happen, in my opinion. That, well, there you go. Newsom's also another person who has to run for re reelection. Right, just because he won re- the recall doesn't mean that he's got he's got to win this and again, you know. Well, so bring somebody better um, than Larry Elder. That's all I'm saying. Well, maybe maybe last year, huh, you're right. That prepared them for uh, to have a more formidable challenger in California. They definitely Another need one. To one. They definitely need one. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, I don't really know if there's a nice enough segue to go into this, but I, as I mentioned you know, earlier. You know, the cloud that kind of hangs and looms over all of this is the virus, right? Coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it nowadays. Um, in light of everything, just pretty much is kind of shooting, shutting down again. 
um, different variants that are kind of coming across, you know, a lot of what we're dealing with this year. And I think that one reason why I kind of wanted to talk about this at the end was, you know, a lot of this may be related to a Corona fatigue, right? I mean, we've been locked up, you know, for the, you know, the better part of a year plus, you know, not, not so long ago, there's the real threat of that happening again with this variant. Um, you know, is a lot of what's happening, you know, in the country around the world, is it just fatigue, frustration? And, you know, it's just Biden is there to be that punching bag. Is he just at the wrong place at the wrong time as far as, well, there's so many things I could get done, but we have to get past this pesky virus first. And well, we can't do that or we haven't been able to do that yet. Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, uh, then another byproduct of that, you know, as a stream of conscious, this whole thing is, well, those that are unvaccinated versus those that are vaccinated, you know, how much of where we are at this point in time is due to those that have yet to get vaccinated. Hell, is there a point to even getting vaccinated because of all these variants? Right. I mean, so, you know, a lot to unpack. Yes. But I think that, you know, Corona kind of is the cloud that hangs over everything nowadays. Aren't some of these boosters supposedly somewhat effective against Omicron? Am I crazy and having heard that? I mean, yeah. I mean, supposedly there's so many things you hear. But the, the effectiveness is and the efficacy is only going to be as good as as many people decide to get it and as many people decide well, to take precautions, even though Omicron is not as dangerous as most of these other variants. It's it's, it's a become, lot more contagious. It's going well, to become more of an annual thing and more of a hey, this year's this year's like it's like this year's flu virus. This year's flu variant. We're going to get a, a different variant of COVID nineteen for at least, in my opinion, the foreseeable future. The last, in the next three to five years, at the very least, um, and we're we're playing a little bit of Russian roulette, aren't we? With like how deadly each new variant is going to be as it comes out. It's like a hurricane. You know, you have all these variants that have the alphabetical designations, just like hurricanes, moving in that direction. And each one is different and maybe not deadlier, maybe less deadly, maybe more deadly, maybe more contagious. And, and this Omicron variant is so much more contagious that it seems like this, this is the variant that we're all going to get. That, that. I kind of do like the hurricane or a virus as hurricane comparison, right? <laughs> That's a pretty, I like that one. There's, With every variant. There's even, uh, right, there's even a, a certain <laughs> part of the year, a certain season where we're going to see more variants and probably more significant infection rates and death rates depending on how deadly that particular variant of the virus is and then there'll be slow parts slow seasons you know in the summertime and all that when everyone's out a bit more like because now is when things are ramping up since everybody's fucking inside at least in the northern states the northern places where we are like new york where you and i are it's getting cold so you know people are getting infected a lot more just like they would be with the cold or the flu and that's that's kind of why we're going to see this continue down the road, especially because of the resistance to being vaccinated, the resistance to treating this as anything, uh, you know, worth, worth having any concern about. And that's the big problem that we've seen that it kind of relates to, again, it is a cloud that hangs over everything else, no matter what, because it's going to affect every aspect of our lives in the world and in America. You know, that's why we see inflation right now. That's why we saw all kinds of, you know, shipping, delays and difficulties and errors on in in terms of the Biden administration and and you know just economies worldwide logistics worldwide the same with oil prices you know all of these things we're kind of seeing last year the consequences finally come home to roost this year and how we're responding to it in most cases is not well you know, when it comes to either inflation or again, logistics and supply chains and things of that nature and trying to actually get infrastructure and certain things that will build back better off the ground. It's just not working as a result of, again, that cloud hanging over everything and that thing that divides everyone in terms of how serious we should take it. So, well, yeah, yeah. COVID fatigue 
it, it looms large. You know, I mean, everything that uh, I, I, my guess is everything that we could possibly do. Yeah. It just kind of gets hindered by, by this, right? I mean, in order to move on, we have to get past the virus, but we have to get past the virus in order to move on. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I mean, every, for every variation, every variant of this you know, virus that, that comes, yeah, it's just another step back that we take. And, you know, I, I don't want to be one preaching, Hey, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. But, you know, it's quite interesting that, um, we have gotten this variants come from places where not very many people have been vaccinated. Right. So, General. you know, just as far as cause and effect, um, wouldn't it lend oneself to believe that if you were to get vaccinated, maybe that would stop the spread of these variants. And that's where a lot of this comes from. I mean, I mean, good Lord, Delta, Omicron, Alpha. I mean, we probably, I mean, we're going through the Greek alphabet pretty rapidly here. And to the point where we might actually have to go back through again, we might have to come up with new names, depending yeah, we'll on how this goes. New names. We're on O already in, in a couple of years, and I, I believe it's going to continue for that much longer. So we're going to get back around to A again very soon, especially during this this season again, when it's getting colder all over the world, not just here in the north of the United States. We're going to see a lot more cases, and that's going to lead to a variety of more variants. Well, I, it's it's... I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a little fascinating and a little frustrating. Um, and again, you're talking to somebody who's questioned the whole efficacy of this vaccine. But again, if unless someone could come up with a different alternative, I mean, this is the best that we got as far as getting past this. And if it's just a matter of being stubborn, I mean, to this point, you know, I, if you haven't gotten the vaccine, chances are more than likely you probably aren't, right? I mean, I, I I don't know what it would take. You know, I, I I don't know what more you need to see in order to say, hey, maybe it might not be a bad thing to get it. Though, I guess there are two sides to every coin, right? You can then use this as an excuse to say, well, why bother getting the vaccine? <laughs> because there's so many different variations. I mean, it just feeds itself over and over again, right? I mean, I mean that's it's a misunderstanding just, of why these variations arise and and. I mean, to answer your question, most of the people that I know that aren't vaccinated aren't going to get vaccinated. There's really nothing that'll change their minds. If they get sick, then they're, they're, if they get sick, then they're immunized. You know, it'll be, that'll yeah. be the logic. Or it was meant to be. Oh well, you know, or it, it's not because of the virus. It's something. It's it's totally something else. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's sad to say that this this might be our future, or hell, this 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 might be our lives from here on it out. Will be. Well. That's my that's another feel. It will be at least for the next three to five years. Like I, said. I was going to say an, an, another one of these episodes to end on such a highly positive note. <laughs> Good morning. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what is happening? As we laugh what is about going it. On? As we, and, well, laughter through the tears. I mean, geez, that's the whole point you know, of the show. Well, I, you laughter know, through the tears. Well, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you kind of wonder, you know, to kind of throw it out there, you know, did we screw this up? You know, America, did we do this? I mean, you know, with our talk as far as freedom, independence, you know, you can't tell me what to do. Are we solely responsible for coronavirus continuing, COVID-19? Well, I, well, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to say solely, but are we, let's say primarily responsible it's a difference um, between, well, I guess there is a difference between solely and primarily, but how do you qualify primarily? Well, okay. Well, number one, we lead the world, don't we now, in the number of deaths due to the virus. We do. Um, we, we have. have the, we have the ability. We, we, we have the vaccine. We and we, we have, have vaccines, plural. And there's still, you know, there's still these conversations where you're begging people to take the shot when there are other countries and they won't. And there are other countries out there that are either, you know, dying for this, literally begging for this, or they listen to American 
I don't want to say conspiracy theories, but American American opinions, and then form their own opinions. You know, their their relatives I have in other countries that have heard what we have to say, and they kind of take that and run with it. And they're just like, yeah, well, I don't want to get the vaccine because I've heard, you know, you know that it does this, that, and the other thing, and that's a direct correlation to a conspiracy theory that I heard, you know, in the U.S. So, or a Russian troll farm, or or that, right? So. You know, when I say primarily responsible, I mean, <laughs> was America to America in this instance? And we kind of screwed it up. You know, were we too independent-minded? Were we too, well, this is my liberty, this is my freedom, you can encroach on this government and others, that we just kind of were too damn stubborn to listen to science, to listen to reason, and, well... Well, this is this, this is the result. I'll try to keep this as short as I possibly can because I could say a lot about why. Yeah, should have, I should have started that to begin this conversation. America but. is primarily responsible. Maybe why you could say America is primarily responsible is, yeah. and this is a very judgmental call on my part. But fuck it, like Americans lack, at least currently, in my opinion, critical thinking skills when it comes to maybe a lot of places in Europe. And other places, you know, New Zealand and Australia and Germany and and some countries where where the culture has maybe a more logical and uh, lean or or stoicism or tilt. I mean, I don't even know how to put it, but Americans are, are far too they're they're they're, they're rubes, honestly. Like I've said, I've used that term before. They're too easy to dupe. They're not, I mean, we had a snake, snake oil salesman as president, like damn near literally like snake oil <laughs> salesman was president. And, you know, the, the, I've, I've kind of always said this and maybe this really does need to be its own conversation at some point. And I've been doing my own sort of research in a way because of the American mindset being such a factor in, in, in everything, obviously the American, American cultural mindset of, uh, of, of like you said, that independent streak, that freedom at any cost, and like literally in this case, at any cost, like very literally, freedom the Americans covet so much. And again, we because of the lack of critical thinking skills that Americans have, we don't understand maybe the situations where freedom is obviously of of huge importance almost over everything else but there's that almost right there's those situations where you're not giving up that much to say get a vaccination or at least wear a fucking mask you know that conversation that we were having last year it's like just wear a mask just wear a fucking mask and socially distance that's it that's all we ask for a little while and so like again like without going too much further into it that's yeah so we essentially did america this up Pretty much, yeah. If we were, if we are primarily <laughs> responsible in the final analysis, then that's going to be a big part of it. No, I guess when the when the big a big thought of this whole situation is yes, my independence versus your right to live. Well, that kind of tells you everything you need to hear. Yeah, it really does. Right, I guess we'll end it there. Yeah, on that note, positively, uh, on that happy note, yet again, like these all seem to end Mm -hmm. (laughs) nowadays. (laughs) Such 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 positive, optimistic outlooks, huh? The sun is out today, so I'll take that much. Well, I mean, the way that things seem to be going, I guess take that for as long as you can too. Who knows when that could get screwed up? Indeed. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Positively Cynical. <laughs> emphasis on the positive. No emphasis Maybe more of the cynical negative. this time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling a little more cynical nowadays after this conversation than positive. I feel like I got, it's like a little bit therapeutic form. for me by the, by the time we get to the end of this. I've worked out some things that I was thinking about. <laughs> So I'll say that's the positive aspect of it, at least for me. If anybody else worked some things out, that'll be a positive aspect for you. Thanks for joining us out there for this episode. Uh, as we, as I spiel every week, 
the best way to support your favorite podcast crews is to like, rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast and to all our social media platforms, which you can find by hashtagging positively cynical or hashtagging positively cynical podcast. And of course, one of the best ways, as we always say, to support your favorite podcast crews is Apple Podcasts and to give us a rating and a review over on over there. So thanks, y'all, for joining us for this week's episode of Positively Cynical. And we'll see y'all later. Peace. Same time next time. <laughs>